Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. And each time I feel that I'm starting to heal, he delivers another blow to my heart. It's become clear, Lord, that the man I married doesn't love, value, or care anything about me or about my feelings. It's as if our marriage meant nothing to him and that I mean nothing to him. But Lord, I know that I have to forgive him. I have to let this go. But Lord, he doesn't even deserve my forgiveness. He keeps hurting me. Am I supposed to forgive him each and every time that he hurts me? Lord, how do I forgive him? And why do I have to forgive him? Lord, I want to obey you. But please help me. Help me to understand, Lord. And teach me, Lord. Please teach me to forgive as you've forgiven me. Amen. Think about Pastor Carrie, who did our announcements today. She's been given the incredible responsibility to serve as our children's pastor. And she's here to partner with you as parents to help your children learn the most important lessons that God would want them to learn so they can grow up to be all that God created them to be. And parents, I'm talking to you today for this first part of this message. You can remember those early years where your children were just learning what it meant to relate to other children, right? Susie looked at me weird on the playground. I'm not talking to Susie anymore, Mommy. I'm done with Susie. Yeah, uh, he bumped into my tray, Fred did, and, and now that it dropped, you know, I did this and I was given this thing and they were snickering. I know they were talking about me. I'm never talking to them again. And, and as a parent, you're given this responsibility. No, honey, you, you have to you have to forgive. You don't want to have those kind of issues in your relationship. Now, some of those things happen, and I think that around uh, ages 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, they didn't call me, and they said they were going to call me, and it, World War III may have broken out. Might as well have broken out in your home, right? And, and there's, there's issues, and there's drama, and there is, there's all kinds of things that are mixed into it. And you as a parent could be standing back, Dealing with something so simple as maybe someone not looking at someone, someone not tweeting this or Instagramming that or whatever. And you're probably as a parent thinking, what, what are all these? Were? Are they speaking in tongues right now? Like, is this babble that they're giving me? But, but you realize how important it is. But there's a lesson that you want to teach your child in that moment. It's going to get a lot more complex than what you're dealing with right now. As life goes on, 
What's going on in the world out there is even deeper, is even heavier, and the things that you may be exposed to are even going to hurt more than what you're walking through right now. And if our children learn at a young age what it means to forgive, then we hope as parents that as they grow up, they can learn to carry that with them. Amen? Right? I tell you that this morning because I need you to come to today's message, not as the parent that you might be, not as the young adult that you might be, not even as the teenager that you might be. You need to come to today's message. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you have been coming to this church or following Jesus. You have to come to today's word as the child. And we're going to look to our Heavenly Father and we're going to say this, Lord, teach me what it means to forgive like you have forgiven me. And let's not assume, church, together that we know the answer to that question. And let's say, teach us in the same way that you could look at your child and say you just have limited understanding yet. There's so much more that you need to be exposed to as you walk through this. The Lord is looking to you and saying the same thing today. There's so much more that I want you to know. This was the message that I was planning and intending on preaching last Sunday and the snow caused for us not to be able to have services together. And I told my wife, and she's expecting a, a child, if you're new here, we're, we're expecting our, our next child in May. And so we have a second child. It's a boy. Um, and I said, Mandy, I, I kind of get a little bit of this idea now because every time a pastor is getting up and we're ready to preach, it's like we're going to deliver something. We're literally going to deliver a message. We're going to deliver. And so I was ready on the 24th of, of January to, um, to deliver a message. And then there was not that opportunity. And I, and I kind of said, Mandy, let's hope that Josiah doesn't come a week later than he's supposed to come. Because I, feel, I felt a pressure building up all week saying, Lord, like, what do you have for us? And so I am, I am just ready to dive into God's word because I know you know, I could have said to you, God's been wrecking my life for a week over this, but he's been doing it for two weeks now. <laughs> and, uh, and the more that I, I dive in, you might say, man, we, Pastor, never have another two weeks to work on a message. Um, but here's what I know is that God has just been convicting me of this fact, and I've become completely, completely convinced of it. The church, we don't get it. We're missing the boat on forgiveness. And I am believing today and I've been praying today because I know that it's going to be a life-changing experience for those that will look to God's word, will hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. Not what, even what I have, what the Holy Spirit will speak to you by the end of this message. And if you walk in obedience to it, it will change your life. I promise you it will. And so let's dive in together to God's word in this part of the Lord's Prayer. We've been walking through a series of messages on the Lord's Prayer, and we're in Matthew chapter 6. You're going to see it here on the screen. If you're taking notes, you can take notes on, on um, the, in fact, the bulletin that you received today. You could take notes right on that bulletin there, and you have the opportunity. We're in Matthew chapter 6, and it's verse 12. It's a prayer that's very familiar for us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Maybe you've prayed that prayer, but we're spending the month of January and now into next week really exploring the depths of what that means. We don't want it just to be words. Come on, someone. We don't want it just to be words. 
We want it to be the way that we live our lives. We want it to change the way that we live our lives. So what does it mean? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is not the only place that this prayer shows up. In fact, it's also seen in Luke's gospel. It's seen in Luke chapter 11, verse, um, I'm sorry, chapter uh, 6, verse 4. If you look in Luke chapter 6, verse 4, you'll see it here again. And as we look there, you'll see it says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive each one who is indebted to us. So whenever you see this, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who are indebted to us. I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And it says here, forgive us our debts as we also... So there's actually a different word that's being used here. And perhaps for you, you may be confused by this. And you may say, why is there a different word being used here? I wanted to take a moment and I wanted us to understand. If we're going to understand forgiveness, we need to understand what it is that we're forgiving, right? That would help. And so right here, two different places, Jesus is saying the same thing, but is he saying the same thing? If you go all the way back in the Bible, for some, um, you, you may not know this, but the Bible was written in, in a different language in, than English. In fact, it was written in Greek for the New Testament, which is the latter portion, the, the second half of it. The first half was written in Hebrew. It was written centuries and centuries ago, over 2,000 years ago, uh, some of it, or, or even more. Um, and it was written in those languages, the New Testament in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew. Saying, well, okay, thank, thank you, Pastor. What, what are you getting at? Uh, when Jesus walked this earth, this isn't just a story about Jesus. This is, this is history. It's his story, Jesus' story. When he walked this earth, he spoke a different language than Greek or Hebrew. He spoke Aramaic. And Aramaic was the common language of the people of that time. So when you see certain words, sometimes in the New Testament, that Jesus says, Abba, Father, or whenever you see even inside of passage, it says that word Abba. That's an Aramaic word, and it's being used because Aramaic was the common language of the time. Although it was written in Greek, Aramaic was what was spoken. So people heard what Jesus said in Aramaic, and they wrote it down in Greek when it was ultimately being written, those same followers that had heard him. In the word for Aramaic, the word debt or the word sin is not two different words. It's actually one word. And that word is right here, and uh, you can try to pronounce it with me, kahoba. Sounds like a really nice bike or something, a kahoba. <laughs> kahoba meant sins, and it also meant debts. And so as it's being recorded there, Jesus said, forgive us our kahoba as we forgive those who have, whatever, kahoba against us. And so the idea is that there's a forgiveness, but what is the forgiveness of? Is it of debts or is it of sin? Yes. What Luke ultimately did as Luke, who's the historian, who's taking record of all that Jesus did and all that he said, he says, forgive us our sins as we also forgive our debtors. And he's showing both because it's important for us to understand both when it comes to forgiveness. One of the common passages that's used when it talks about forgiveness in the Bible is a story about a man, a king, who lent another man a lot of money. He lent him more than all of his lifetime. He could never repay. And that man had borrowed that, and they had agreed upon something, and then the man could not pay it. It was a debt that he could not pay. And therefore, the man was going to throw him in prison. He asked for mercy, and the king showed mercy and forgave him of that debt. He forgave him of that kaboah. That's what Jesus would say. He forgave him of the debt. Well, that man went over and he would not forgive another person of his debt, which was way smaller. 
And because of that, in this story, the king holds him accountable to say, how could you not forgive if I've forgiven you so much? That's a question to tuck away as we're talking today and think about. That's a debt. A debt has been accrued, and now a debt needs to be paid. And so that failure to follow through is something that could be forgiven and would need to be forgiven. But a sin is something different. Let's tell that story again and imagine that the man shows up to the king. He doesn't ask him to borrow money. In fact, he goes into the royal treasury when the king is looking. He steals the money. He has sinned against the king. He has sinned against the kingdom. Are you getting the difference with me between debt and sin? You can participate. <laughs> sin and debt. The sin, someone has offended. They've done something, even willingly, to dishonor you. When sin is missing the mark is when we dishonor God and the plan he has for our lives, when we break his law. And a debt is when we accrue something over time that has an accounting that is needed. And in our lives, both of those spiritually are true, that we have sinned, and also that sin has created a debt. And that debt will be paid ultimately by someone. It'll be paid by you and me, or it can be paid by Jesus who died on the cross. And we sing a song here, and you know we sing? Jesus paid it all. And therefore... This, the amount of sin, the amount of wrong that we've done, the amount of things that have shamed our past when we look at the cross. Jesus' forgiveness says that debt that has been against you is gone. And the sins that you have committed that have broken the heart of God, they've been forgiven. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven those who have sinned against us as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's the heart of what Jesus was praying and what he taught everyone who would follow him to pray and to live out in our lives. This idea of forgiveness is a great idea. I think as you hear the word forgiveness, does that sound like a good idea? Does, do you think people should forgive one another? Let me see a show of hands. I need to know you're with me. Come on, the, the nine o'clock crowd, it's not fair that they're more with me than the 11 o'clock. You had that couple extra hours to sleep. You think it's a good idea? Well, C.S. Lewis, who's a very famous author, he agreed with you. He says this, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely thing, but that's not a period, it's a comma, until they need to forgive. <laughs> until they have need to forgive. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely thing until you have to forgive someone. And then it changes things. Well, technically, you know, well, hold on a second. I think he's getting at something, do you? He's been gone for a while, but, but that principle holds true today where we live. Forgiveness is a lovely thing in word, but it becomes a very complicated thing indeed. And I don't believe that God has complicated it. I believe that we have complicated it. I think God is making it clear in his word, as we'll see. But I think we've allowed it to become complicated, and the Lord wants it to become clear, so clear that he said this is that important that Whenever we would be taught how to pray, it needs to be a part of what we are regularly engaged in each time we come before the Lord. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my debts as I've also forgiven those who have sinned against me, who have are indebted to me for what they have done. And I want to tell you that there are times when, when there are prayers that go unanswered. And when God isn't answering our prayers, as we think he should be answering our prayers. And there are times that unanswered prayer is confusing for you. Have you ever been confused when God hasn't answered? I've been confused when God hasn't answered. Has anyone ever been frustrated 
when God hasn't answered our prayers? Let me ask this question. Has anyone ever been excited when God hasn't answered our prayers? Let me say, what are you talking about? We, if you've prayed this prayer and you haven't really got what it means, when I tell you, you should be excited and praising God that he didn't answer this prayer. So let's look at it again. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We are there in that moment saying, God, would you forgive me of my debts, of my sins, in the same way that I have forgiven the people that have sinned against me? What we're ultimately saying to God when we're praying this way is, Lord, you know the way that I've forgiven them? I want you to use that same standard against me. Well, have you ever thought of it that way? Lord, in the same way that I'm able to forgive them and let go of it, in the same way that I'm able to release and work towards reconciliation, in the same way that I forgive them, Lord, use that measure against me. That's my prayer, Lord. That's all I want. Now you're saying, hold on, Lord, we got to talk. I didn't mean it like that. I did not mean it like that. Lord, I want all of your grace, but if I don't give the grace, come on, don't, don't, you know, don't hold out on me. You should be elated. I should be, I am elated. I'm saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have not used the measure against me that I measure other people with because I would be in a world of hurt. I know what my prayer life would be like. I'd come to the Lord, I'd repent, I'd be sorry, and I would feel his forgiveness, and then I'd be praying next week, and he would be nudging me by the Holy Spirit. Oh, remember how you did that thing? Yeah, I just want to remind you, I forgave you of it, and uh, just wanted to tell you about it again. You're still aware that, you know, you do that, and that's it. You know, like, like, could you imagine that? I'd be like, Lord, you, you know, I feel like I'm still being held over my head. That would be the equivalent of the way we forgive if God was holding that standard against us. God says that whenever he's forgiven us, he's separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's pretty far. That he separated it from us. That God has chosen when he's forgiven us, it is finished. He has let go of that. No longer without judgment for that which we have been forgiven for now fall upon us. It has let go of it. And there's a, there's a story that then goes into the depths of understanding forgiveness more. And Jesus is sitting and he's invited into the home of a Pharisee. And a Pharisee is a very religious person a person that cares a lot about outward appearances. He cares about honoring people and making sure that the public perception is good. He also cares deeply about honoring God. And so he takes sin seriously and wrongdoing seriously as, as God does. And then one day he invited Jesus to become his guest of honor in his home and recline at the table with him and friends. And as they're sitting at the table, and you could read more about this in Luke chapter seven, verses 36 through 50. And as you're there, you'll see that as they're sitting at the table, this man who's all about outward appearances, and here's what you need to know about him, that it's customary if you're going to invite a guest into your home, you're going to do a few things that you and I aren't doing. And uh, so if you're going to have a Super Bowl party, you probably aren't going to do any of these things. You might do one of them. Uh, first thing you'll do, that they would do is the person would walk, and they'd have dirt all over their feet. They'd wash their feet. They'd have a basin and a bowl next to the door. They'd have a servant normally there. They would kneel down. They'd wash their feet. And so especially the person that has come in as the honored guest, they would receive that 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 customary welcome, that honoring welcome. The next thing that they would do is they would give him a kiss. So they would give him a kiss. They would give him a kiss on the cheek. They would greet one another with, the Bible calls it a holy kiss. And we get that. Some of you, I, I, since coming to New Jersey, I get that now. I've uh, come into friendships. It's like uh, every time I see them, okay, we've got to have a kiss here. And then some are like, hold on, this cheek too. You know, it's like both sides. And I feel like I'm, I'm meeting with, you know, with uh, one of the Sopranos or something like, you know, uh, 
But you learn that, and that's, that's a part of that customary greeting, that embrace, that, that love between two and, and, and an honoring way to welcome someone. And the third one is an anointing, where they would take some oil and they would anoint the person, and it would just be a sign of blessing and honor over them. And so those would be three things that would happen normally inside of a home. And so as they're reclining at the table, they're having a great time, this woman shows up, and the Bible says in verse 37 that the woman, she's in the city, and she's a sinner, and she's a sinner, that means she's unclean. And, and if she's unclean, that means she's not welcome in many places. And she shouldn't be welcome in the house of this Pharisee. She's not even welcome in the temple. The equivalent of what the, our church is here in that day would have been the temple. And what would have happened if we were living under that way of thinking back then, today? If she showed up and she had something that she'd done to make herself unclean, she'd made those kind of mistakes and it was known, when she got to the door, Someone will be there waiting for her and say, I'm sorry, you're unclean. You're not allowed in. You can't come in here. This is for those that aren't like you. you you've, you've done wrong. You're, you're dirty. You're, you're, you're unclean. You're a sinner. You stay away. If we still held to that standard, and imagine if someone heard what you said about that person, saw what you did when no other man, we, none of us would be here. <laughs> the, the, the band might play or, or an audio CD would play. Who knows what would happen? None of us would be here. But this woman, she bursts in, and then she's crying. And as she's crying, the Bible says, their tears are falling on the feet of Jesus. And as the tears are falling there, it's causing the moisture to, to gather on his feet. And then, then she's taking her hair, and she's wiping up and drying his feet with her hair, the Bible says. And then she takes a jar of alabaster, which is very, very costly. And she takes that. She pours the perfume over his feet, anointing his feet, and she then begins kissing his feet. She won't stop crying, kissing his feet, anointing his feet, wiping his feet. And all that the people could think of in verse 39, when the Pharisees saw it, he said to himself, if this man, if Jesus, he had been healing people, he had been casting out demons, Jesus was doing extraordinary things. That's why he was invited into this man's home. He's thinking, who in the world is this guy? He could do all that. He can't even get it. If he was a prophet, he would know this girl is unclean. And when she touches him, she's making him unclean. What he didn't know is that quite the opposite was happening. She was unclean, but as she was coming to Jesus, her life was about to get cleansed and changed and transformed. He couldn't see it, though. He said, if he knew, if only he knew. And Jesus, he sees our heart. And that should always be her, he sees our heart. And Jesus answered him, and he said this. Simon, I have something to say to you. And I said this so, um, so pointedly and so meanly last service that I actually had to like kind of apologize to everyone. I said, I don't hope Jesus didn't say any of the things I'm about to say as, as frustrated as I, as I was saying it. But here's what he says. He says to him a, a story, and he talks to him about a money lender. Sounds similar. He says, this money lender lent one person 500 denarii. That's about a year and a half's worth of someone's salary. So whatever you make in a year, a year and a half's worth of it. That person was lent it. And then he lent another person about a month's worth of his salary, right around there. And it came time that both of them needed to pay. And whenever it was time for them to pay, they both said, we don't have the ability to pay. And the king said, you know what? I've forgiven both of your debts. Jesus then asked them a question. He says, Simon, I need you to answer this question. Think about it really hard. Who? Who that was forgiven? Which of them? Which of them loved more? 
which of them would have loved that king more? Which one? The one who has been forgiven more. And that's exactly what Simon says. Simon says. And Jesus said, you're correct. You're very correct. And then he goes on to what he really wants to tell him. He said, turning towards the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since she has been here in the time I've come in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which yes, were many, they've been forgiven. For she loved much. She was forgiven much, and therefore she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Did you get it? And he says, then he looked to her in front of everyone. He says, your sins are forgiven. And then everyone says, who does this guy think he is that he has the power to forgive sins? And she says, go. Go and sin no more. Go. It's been made well. There's something in there that we have to get. The one who's been forgiven much loves much. That to the level of forgiveness that we've experienced should be the level of what flows out of our lives. Do you get it, church? What's happened to us needs to then flow through us. What's happened in our hearts, we need to then become a conduit. It should not come in like a flood and go out like a trickle. Something then is wrong. It is meant to flow into our lives by the grace of God, into the best of our ability. As flawed people, it should flow out with that same grace, that same love, that same passion, that same heart, the heart that's being formed in us. It's like Jesus' heart. Jesus said, I'll give you a new heart. That's God's promise from his word to us. He said, the one who loves little or thinks he has been forgiven little. Is there anyone here that when God forgave you of your sins, it was really, really small compared to maybe everyone else's sins? You're basically walking on water. You're only a couple inches under. Yeah. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to whoever it is uh, that maybe is with you. They'll, they'll help you. They'll remind you of a few things maybe if you really need them to. Um, or they'll just roll their eyes and you'll know what it means, right? We've all been forgiven much. I couldn't pay the price that Jesus paid for my sins. I couldn't do it. I could have died a thousand lifetimes. could have served a million sentences. I could have never done what Jesus did for me. I've been forgiven much. I don't know about you. And therefore, I've been called now to love much. But if I don't really take seriously what Jesus has done for me on the cross, if I don't really believe I've been forgiven much, then I'm not going to love very much. So look to the cross. Remember where you've come from and how far God has brought you. I don't know this. Here's where I've been brought from, death to life. How about you? Death to life. That's where he brought us from. Forgiven much, love much. And so therefore, here it is. Forgive us, Lord. And let's turn it around. Lord, may our forgiveness look like your forgiveness. The prayer really is, Lord, may your forgiveness in our lives look like our forgiveness there. But Lord, may our forgiveness look like your forgiveness. May we forgive just as you have forgiven us. Because if we don't get that, we're going to miss it. We miss the heart of the gospel. We are never, get this, we are never more like Jesus than when we forgive. We're never more like 
God and his nature than when we forgive. And so if we've been forgiven much, then we are called as his children to forgive much. Forgiving is hard. It is difficult. It is complicated. We think that forgiving just becomes forgetfulness. We think that forgiving is somehow just a license for us to bury our heads in the sand. That forgiving is is a way of minimizing issues that have happened and none of that is true. But forgiving is a very powerful thing and I want to just talk to you for a few moments about this and I want to show it to you. Because when we don't forgive, here's ultimately what happens. We've been offended and we're holding on to things. If you haven't forgiven today, you're holding on to some stuff. And so, uh, Kevin, come on up. I was going to get you, Kyle. If Kevin wasn't there, I was going to ask you to come up. But uh, he helped me with the table. So come on, Kev. Sorry to put you on the spot, man. You're good. All right, put that thing in your pocket there. All right, so here, here it is, Kevin. You've lived, you lived a couple years, so I've gotten to know you. Um, and, uh, and I know people have done some things probably over time that have offended you, have hurt you, have all kinds of things like that. And uh, one of those times at work, when someone you knew they were talking about you, they were saying things they shouldn't have, and, uh, and you picked up on it. The time someone said they were going to do something and they just blatantly lied to you. The time that they said those hurtful things and it just wasn't, it wasn't fair. That, the time that, that you know, there, there was something that, that had happened and you were just clearly in the right and you knew that they were wrong and they, and they just wouldn't own it. The time that you went to the person and you, you really wanted to make sure that they knew that what they had said had hurt your feelings and all they did was explain it away and said there was nothing to be worried about. And, and life went on, Kevin. There's just all these things that you're just walking through here, Right? And so I'm going to stop making uh, these. Kev's not married yet, so I was going to do a bunch of things about the spouse and all that, so and the children. But once, once you get married, Kev, you're going to have a whole lot more of these to carry with you. So, so this, there's all kinds of opportunity. So, so this, is what, this is what his life is about. And each time, this is what happens. Each time that someone hurts us, each time that someone has wronged us, we hold on to it. And for someone, no, Kev, Kev, you got to hold on to it, buddy. Got to hold on to it, man. You don't get, no, 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 no. No, not yet, man. I know, I know, I know, you, I know you're that, that holy, man, that you're not ever going to hold on to the offense. He's like, if that's it, I'm letting go. I'm, no, you got to hold on to it. Every time that something happens to us, I'll keep checking on you, okay? We hold on to it. For some of you, someone has wronged you. It's been 30 years ago. You're still holding on to it. When we hold on to it, here, here's what it is. It's kind of like the woman who was caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. They bring her before Jesus, and they have stones just like this, and they say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law says this. She did this, the law says this. We should stone her. She did it, now we punish her. The punishment needs to fit the crime. This is justice. This is rights being made from wrong things that have happened. This is Equality. This is us doing what's right, that every action has a reaction. So, so depending on how big the offense is, maybe it's how big the stone becomes, right? How big the issue is. And when you hold on to it, it's this. It's my ability to get even. Because when people hurt us, it's like we're at a deficit, and we need to make it right. We need to make it even. So there we are. We're walking through life. We're carrying all these things. And at times, especially in times when we can, we may go back and we may put it right back there to them. And we would say, you did this, now I did this. And you know what happens then? You don't have one stone, you get two stones. The stone that now you are still going to pick back up in the stone they have because your offense has caused you to go and offend them now. 
They say, well, you offended me, now I offend you. That's right, that's fair, that's balanced, that's a scale. Whatever you did, I'm going to do to you. And then we get what Jesus says, that we can't do that. God is a God that loves, God is a God that forgives, but we still hold on to it, though. Instead of forgiving, we're waiting to make it right. We're waiting to, to, to do something with it sometimes. So let's say that person comes to you, Kevin, you talk to them, and they say, you know what, Kevin, you're right, this was a big thing, you spent some time, you talked, you prayed, and and you said, okay, you've, a- you've asked for forgiveness, I've forgiven you. And then you worked out this thing and you've been able to let go of it. And you said, I'm not going you know, to keep thinking about that. And you have a couple things. But there's a few things still left there. And there's especially this one right here that you're holding on to. Because you say, this one, they, I went to them and they said they're not wrong. In fact, they said I was wrong. And I'm, and I'm offended and they're not apologizing. They won't apologize. And so if they're not going to apologize, I'm not going to forgive them. Why should I forgive them if they don't apologize? And you go through life and you're holding on to these things. And you're saying, I'm not only going to do it when they do it. Here's what you need to get. Is that you're responsible for you. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if they apologize now. You can forgive them before they've even apologized. You can forgive them before. And you can forgive them if they never apologize. And here's what I mean by that. You can let it go. So let that one go, Kev. And And when I say let it go, it isn't this. God, your word says it's yours to avenge. You pick it up and then you strike them and I'll wait and I'll see. I'll see what happens. And sometimes we do that. And sometimes we, we, we do know this, that God is a God who sees everything. He will make wrongs right. He'll do those things. But what happens is if we're sitting there waiting for it, watching for it, that disappoints the heart of God. If you're waiting for your form of justice, whatever it is that you have judged would make it right. And you're waiting for that to fall. You're playing the role that God ultimately has. He's the only judge. He's the one that weighs these things. So we walk through life. And it's our choice at the end of the day, though. Whether they do anything about it. It's a, it, it what you're caring is for you. Will you let it go? Will you not? So Kev is one that wants to let it go. So Kev, just let it go then. Amen. That's right. That's it, right? Thank you, Kev. I would say you could keep one, but I don't want you to walk around with offenses. So, um, so that's that. Here's the, here's, the, here's the principle. Is that whenever we're holding on to all that stuff, whenever we are carrying around all these things, it affects us. The same way it was affecting Kevin. I could not then say, hey, I'm going to have an altar call. Aurora, please come up now. Let's get, let's get an altar song happening right now. If Kev's holding on to all that stuff, it's affecting the way he's going to play the bass. It's affecting the way he's going to do all those things. And, and, and Aurora's like, hey, something's off right now. Maybe it's that Kev's trying to strum it with a, with a stone in his hand. When we live our lives with offense, it does have an impact on everything that we do. You may be really good at hiding it, but it does, especially when you're carrying it. And so here's the deal. Here's the principle. Let's look at me as I'm handling this, and let's put up that slide that has that stone. You can't reach for anything new if your hands are full of yesterday's junk. If they're full of yesterday's offenses, they're full of yesterday's things that people have done to hurt you that you have been holding on to. And the longer you hold on to offense, the more it becomes internalized in your life. There is no way that you're holding something for 30 years and it has not become internalized in your life. You cannot hold something for that long at, at, at an arm's length. In fact, if the offense is that long and that deep, it has a spare bedroom, a private bathroom, its own access to your life. It, it has the whole thing. You've built your whole life around it at that point. And so that's, that's the, the, and when it gets internal, 
You could be dressed to the nines. Everything can look good. You could play great, Kev. You could have, all those things can go so well. And, and anyone can do whatever you're doing. You have learned to cope with it and allow your life just to have it in it. But no one can see what it's doing to you on the inside. And maybe you can't even see what it's doing to you on the inside. But it's eating away at you. So the, the worst part is that when it becomes internalized, an offense internalized becomes bitterness. And bitterness over a period of time becomes a bitter root. And here's what the Bible says, be careful that a bitter root does not grow in you because it will cause trouble and it will defile many. By the time it gets to root stage, the impact of it is not just on you and the person, it's on the people that you love, it's on the people around you, it's on others, it defiles many. And it causes all kinds of issues. It could have started as something so small, but just as a tiny, tiny mustard seed can grow into a giant tree, bitterness, seeds of bitterness and offense can do the same exact thing. Someone with me today? This is exactly what can happen. It becomes toxic. When I think about this, I think about my, my upbringing in, the, in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania. And as a child, um, you're going to be very proud of me. I learned from a young age that I wasn't supposed to drink poisonous things that would kill me. Can I have a round of applause for that, please? <laughs> so I'm really, it's one of the things I put on my resume, actually. I'm really good at telling the difference between things that will, will, will nourish me and kill me. Um, but I learned not to drink the things under the sink and all those kinds of things. And, and I had a reason why I learned that. And I talked to Mandy about that reason. And she said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. And so I had to go back and I had to research it, and there was a story behind it. The reason that I didn't do it was because of this guy right here. Let's put up this. No, 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 go back. Not him. Him. Does anyone know him? Let me see your hands. Just put up a show of hands if you've ever seen this before. I got how many people right here of a room this size? Let me see it again. Oh, my goodness. So if you're in western Pennsylvania, there is not one person of the millions of people that does not know what this is. That whole side of the state knows what this is. You know who this is? This is Mr. Yuck. No, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's Mr. Yuck. That's his name. And Mr. Yuck was there, and my mom would put Mr. Yuck on everything. She'd put it on everything I wasn't allowed to drink. And there's a reason why that I never knew about until now. It was because back in the 70s, City of Pittsburgh was called the City of Champions. There was a lot of um, excitement with the Steelers winning and the Pirates were winning. Um, they, they were doing very well. Uh, and, and at the same time, a lot of children were dying from drinking poison. Not just like a lot, like, like a lot of, like, like in a strange amount of them were. And the doctors and the paramedics in the, in the children's hospital was being flooded with all these calls about children that are drinking poisonous chemicals. And so a doctor began to look into it. In fact, it was the chief uh, residency there. He began to look into it. His name uh, was Richard Moriarty. He was a chief pa pediatric resident at Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh, an amazing hospital. And he looked into it, and he started to realize what the issue was. Let me show you what poison looks like and what labels were like in the 70s. This was a label for poison. You get that, right? Skull and crossbones. But there was a team that was doing great in the 70s in Pittsburgh, playing baseball. They were the Pittsburgh Pirates. Let's see what their logo looks like. And so children 
see something that people are wearing, they're cheering about, they're excited about, and then they're seeing this. And they're saying it must be good, and they're partaking in it. Because they didn't know the difference. And this was a phenomenon that happened in western Pennsylvania, and there came Mr. Yuck. And you may think, okay, this is like this. In 1979, within one year, they sold 50 million of those stickers. Think about 1979, what the population of the United States was. 50 million of these were sold in just that year. In fact, the 1975 Super Bowl, one of the halftime commercials was a Mr. Yuck commercial that played across the entire country when the Steelers were playing in the Super Bowl that year. Because they had to find a way to teach them. There are things that you have to avoid. You may not understand the difference, but when you see this, you just know, I can't partake in it. The reason I tell you that is this, is that I could just get a bunch of those stickers for you. And every time you look at an offense, every time you see it, slap a Mr. Yuck sticker on it and say, no, no, that isn't, that isn't getting here. It's done. And if you could realize the danger of it, then it would change everything. Do you know after they did this, five-year span in the Pittsburgh area, less than five children over a span of an entire five years died from poisoning? when they were seeing dozens, if not hundreds, dying or being in fatal, life-threatening situations just because of this. They identified it, they addressed it, they moved on. If we can learn to identify and see it before it comes, it can save us so much heartache. Come on, church, is anyone still with me? I know you're here. You gotta you got at least bear with me a little bit. I missed a whole, a whole week's message of this that I, I wanna share with you. Mr. Yuck, you're done. You're done, you're not getting here. Because when it gets here and it gets internalized, it starts to change the way we think, it starts to change the way we rationalize. We build our lives around some of these things that aren't lining up with God's word. One of the ones that's clear, Jesus says it at least three times, clearly. In fact, after the Lord's Prayer, he says the whole Lord's Prayer, and then he goes back and he says this. It's, you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, um, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive those that have forgiven you, and you're forgiven, but if you have not, then your Father will not forgive you. If you haven't forgiven them of their sins, then he won't forgive you. It goes on in Mark chapter 11, verse 25. It says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Remember how I told you in, in like the Greek and in the Aramaic and like, you know, these words can get really mixed up? I've checked on these ones, and anything back then actually means the same exact thing as it means today, Anything. And anyone means the same exact thing it means today, anyone. There are no asterisks, there are no, uh, oh, well, except for this and exceptions. If anyone has anything, then go, forgive them of it, forgive them of it. Doesn't even say at this point, just forgive them. So your Father who is in heaven can forgive you of your transgressions. This is the heart of what God is calling us to. This is the heart of what it is that we are called to do. There's a woman named Connie who grew up and believed that her family was a famous watchmakers. She grew up in a time before, the World War, before World War II. And because of her faith of her family, because of the faith of, of a group of people, because of the way that they looked, they were taken by Nazis. They were hoarded into concentration camps. And as she was there, she watched as her sister was treated in ways that I would not even describe to you today. 
She watches her sister's life begin to wither away at the hands of many of these men who were so blinded by their hatred and their prejudice and by their sins. And she watches things happen to her and her sister, but she literally had to watch her sister die. And it was basically, ultimately, at the hands of this one man who was holding them prisoner in this concentration camp. And as this went on, she, she was broken. Well, liberation came. She was set free. And then years later, an even greater freedom came into Connie's life because she learned about true forgiveness. She learned about Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he can bring into your life and how he can change everything. And when she came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, it changed everything, all that brokenness, all that hurt, all that she had walked through, it wasn't too big for Jesus to heal. All the atrocities she had seen, all the scars that were inside, all the things that no one could ever know or understand, he knew and he understood and loved her. And then as she started to follow Jesus, she learned that she had to learn how to forgive. Because she said this prayer, Lord, how, how can I forgive in the same way that you've forgiven? And she realized that it didn't matter how hard it was that God would give her the ability to do it, and she had to do it. She had to even forgive those that had hurt her, those that, for everything that had happened. And she did, and it was an amazing story. It's an amazing story of God's power of reconciliation, of healing, of work in her life that she could forgive. Time went on. She began to be able to speak at different places and Connie's speaking and she's talking and she gets to one place where there are some people in the room that are even survivors just like her whose story was just like her story. She's speaking in a room full of people. She sees some of them and then she sees some that causes her stomach to go into her throat. Have you ever had an experience like that? Takes your breath away. She saw someone that she had remembered from a part of her life that she wanted nothing more than to forget. She locked eyes as she's speaking on forgiveness with the man who was responsible for the death of her sister and the sins and the things that had been committed against her in that concentration camp. He's in the audience that day. And Connie's there and, and, and she finishes what she's saying and People are leaving and people are coming forward and this man hangs back and her heart is racing because he steps out of his seat and he comes forward just like many others did and he's waiting to talk to her and after she has the opportunity to talk to some, she talks to him and he says to her this, he said, I, I, I'm very, it was a very good talk that you did today on forgiveness. It was very powerful. He said, I was one of the people that were in those camps and I was one that was sinning against. I was one that was responsible for so much of this pain and she's not saying anything. She's not acknowledging anything. She doesn't know if he recognizes her. Or she recognizes him. He said, but a lot's happened since then and Jesus Christ has forgiven me of my sins. He said, but I'm here today because I need to ask, will you forgive me of them? And there she is standing, watching this man who was responsible for so much. The, could you imagine the whirlwind of everything coming right back into her life? And she's standing there. And she said in that moment, she's not doing anything. She's not nodding. She's not saying a word. She's just looking at him. And she's thinking and having this wrestling time with God. I can't, God. I can't forgive. And then he said, I've been forgiven, but will you forgive me? And then he does this. And he holds his hand out for her. 
And she stands there stoic and she's just, everything in her wants to run. Everything in her wants to say, everything in her, there's turmoil, there's strife, there's all kinds of things going on in her spirit, as you can imagine. And she's saying, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't. I just don't. It's not in me. I can't. And finally, what could have only probably been a couple seconds, maybe felt like an eternity. She said, Lord, all I can do is lift my hand to his. But you have to provide the feeling. You have to provide the heart. I can't do it. And so slowly, mechanically, she lifts her hand. And as she says it, and as she retells the story, the moment their hands met, a warmth came over that part of her hand flowed through the entirety of her body. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Tears were shed and the power of Jesus Christ came and began to bring reconciliation. And she wept and she felt the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in lives. I want to tell you something today. Your story may not be as dramatic as that, but the tears will be just as real. The struggle will be there when God shows you who you need to forgive. And you're going to say, I can't do it. And here's what I want you to know. The gospel gives you the power to forgive. The gospel is the power of God to forgive. And so you may not have the strength. I agree with you, but he does. And I want to tell you something. If the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is truly at work in us, then it's the power of forgiveness. And he can bring it about in your life. He can allow it to flow through you and into others. And you know what that is? That moment is there. It's described in the Bible. It says we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. When enemies are brought together, when sins are forgiven, when wounds are healed, and when the power of the gospel overcomes offense and hurt and bitterness and everything else. Because it says this, Offense speaks loud. Forgiveness speaks louder. It overcomes it. So today, here's what we need to do. I need you to pray. I know that this has been heavy. But as your pastor, it's my responsibility to bring this to you. you say, Lord, may there never be another snowstorm that he has to spend two weeks on the heavy message. But thank you for being here. We don't normally go this late. I, I get it. But for us not to spend these moments now doing the most important work, it would make this entire time worthless. You've heard it. You've, you've, I trust that the Holy Spirit's been speaking, that not just I have been speaking, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart. But now we're going to specifically pray, and we're going to pray two things. We're going to ask the Lord together. This is your commitment today. I need every one of you to ask these two questions to the Lord. Lord, who do I need to forgive? And who do I need to ask to forgive me? So right now, would you bow your heads and would you bow your hearts with me? Or would you make this a moment of you and the Lord together? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you? That's his job. He leads you into truth. God wants to reveal something here. God wants to come in. He wants to heal something that has been decades. God wants to bring freedom and deliverance into your life for something that's been plaguing you for 50 years. He wants to give you today the power to forgive. And he wants you to experience the power of forgiveness in your life. So I'm going to pray this prayer, and I just want that to be your prayer with me. And then we're going to pause and be quiet before the Lord for a few moments and just listen to his still small voice. 
Lord Jesus, come and speak in this moment. Holy Spirit, speak to me in this moment. Who do I need to forgive? And who do I need to ask for their forgiveness? is new to you, but you're starting to th- things are just coming right to your heart right now. It's clear as day. You say, well, I don't hear an audible voice, Pastor. Holy Spirit doesn't always speak with an audible voice like that. That's, he'll, but he'll bring it right to you. He'll allow it to be right there, and you could feel it. You can know it. I'm like, I can't tell you what it is, because I don't know what's going on inside your heart. He does. Allow him to search your heart. Allow him to reveal it. Allow it to come to the surface. And as it does, now your choice on what you're going to do with it. I'm believing that God's been speaking to us. I'm believing that he's been revealing to you. I'm believing that he's faithful to do exactly what his word says he'll do, that when you ask, he'll reveal to you. And now is the most important thing, that you need to take that, whatever he's put into your heart, and you need to go. And you need to forgive. For, for some of you today, you don't even have to have a conversation. It's just time today in the presence of God to say, Lord, I'm going to do it. I, I, I can finally get to that point. I get it now. I've been waiting for revenge. Lord, I'm giving it up. I've been waiting for justice. Lord, I'm letting go of it. Lord, I just want the freedom that comes from it. And you ask him to bring that into your life. You're asking for his healing now. And it will flow through your life. Because he can turn all that bitterness, all those things, in a moment, that root can be ripped out. So, Lord Jesus, come now and do that work for your children. And whose forgiveness do I need to ask for? He's putting things in your heart right now as well. And that's now on you. It's your responsibility. You don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them. And the first person that could come to some minds here that as you've been listening to everything that I could, I've been saying, the first person that you need to ask for forgiveness from is God himself. That you've never had your sins forgiven. Jesus died on the cross for that very reason, so you don't have to walk around with it anymore. So today, if you're within the sound of my voice, you're watching online, and you'd say, I have not yet asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. Today's the day, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to say a prayer right now with me. And say this from the bottom of your, your heart, and it's you asking the Lord to forgive you of those sins and asking for that brand new life. Pray, Lord Jesus, repeat it after me. I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I will follow you all the days of my life. And I thank you for the forgiveness that only you can bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to take another step if that's you. I believe that defining moments call for decisive actions and you've just made a life-changing, decisive decision in your life. I'm gonna count to three and if you made that decision for the first time, I just ask for just one more moment, no one else would move around. But if you made that decision, I'm telling you, I'm gonna count to three and I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. That's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I won't ask you to come here. 
I want to ask you today, I just want to ask you to stand to your feet to acknowledge I made that decision today. And as you do that, you need to know you don't need to be afraid because as you stand, we've all stood at one point in time. We've all been in that place where we said, today's the day I made that decision. And I want to tell you, there's a celebration in heaven. There'll be a celebration right here as you're willing to make that decision before God. So don't let fear get in the way of it. You're ready? If that was you and you made that decision for the first time today, counting to three, and then I want you to stand. One, two, three. If that was you, I want you to stand up right to your feet, right where you're at. Come on. If that was you, if you made that decision, right there. Amen. Is there anyone else that made that decision today for the first time? Praise God. Quickly, as you're standing, if we have any altar workers, would you please go to them and just give them a book? Um, You're going to receive a book if you just stay standing for one moment. Uh, an altar worker is going to bring something to you. And they're going to give you a book, and they're just going to give you a card, and it's just a gift to you. It's, it's a Bible. It's just for you. It's, it's what we've been talking about today. It's to help you begin that relationship. And then we would love to connect with you. And so it's an opportunity for you to connect with us. And we'd love to pray with you and just talk to you about the decision you made. But can we hear it again today, church? That's praise God for what he's done. Once everyone's there and you've come to you, you can go ahead and sit down. The rest of us can now stand if everyone has received that. Let's all stand together now, church. And if you've made that decision, you're afraid to stand, but you now get it like I got to. Come up to one of the altar workers. Don't leave here without letting us know. But for the rest of us, we have work to do, church. Let's go. Let's put this into practice. Let's go to those that we need to ask for forgiveness. Let's forgive those that God has put on our hearts and let's honor him in that way. Amen? Amen. Hey, we'll see you next week. You don't want to miss it again, Super Sunday. Please come. Please invite friends. And we're going to believe God to meet us in a special way. God bless you. We're going to continue to have worship here. You don't have to leave. You don't have to hurry out. But have a great week in the Lord.